I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Good evening, Jonathan. Good evening, Seth. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. And just a hello to... All of our listeners, no matter what time they're listening. That's right. Also, a good evening to Winnie, who is currently in the same room as me, snoozing away on the couch in here. So, if you hear any snoring while Seth's talking, it's probably not me. I won't blame her for snoring, but I have a question for you, as always. Yes. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want... To go to a soccer game, wearing your pajamas, or wearing a full three-piece suit? Well, my initial reaction was, oh, obviously pajamas, because they're more comfortable. But I think if I just showed up wearing what I normally wear to go to bed, I wouldn't be allowed into the soccer game. Because I don't wear very much to go to sleep. But if they would let me in, I'd still go with pajamas. Because I like looking sharp, I like wearing a suit, but honestly, it doesn't feel like the time or place for it. Unless I was the manager of, of one of the clubs, I would not want to wear a suit to a soccer game. And even then, I'd much rather wear like a track suit. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking of going with the suit, because people would just think that you came from something important. They'll be like, wow, he must have just come from work to this Major League Soccer game. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> but if you show up in your pajamas, they're just like, wow. He just rolled out of bed and came to the soccer game. I just don't get why you care what other people are thinking about your outfit. Aren't you there to cheer on your, your team? Your favorite squad of professional athletes? Why do you care if you're impressing people? It's not about you, Seth. It's about the team. What would Ted Lasso say? Doesn't Ted Lasso dress sharply when he goes? I mean, he's the manager, but when he goes to the games, he's not wearing That's his true. pajamas. That's true. He knows you gotta, you gotta dress for the job you want. All right. Well, my first takeaway from this is I need to get caught up on the new season of Ted Lasso but also I'm wondering how pajamas or suits are going to factor in to today's scripture how about you read it and then we'll we'll see where we go from there I guess that's the only way to find out isn't it this is Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 a final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him, as I should. All right, Seth, why did you go with the New Living Translation this week? I went with the NLT this week. A, because I don't think we've used it recently. So it's a good refresher, to a good time to return to a translation that we just haven't heard or experienced recently. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that is because it's actually the second most popular translation, at least by unit sales, uh, after the NIV. So I thought, well... If this, if this is so popular, let's, let's read from it and hear what it has to say and kind of listen to its cadences. And I found myself really liking the way that it treats this passage. I think it's easy to read aloud. Uh, it does a good job just making it clear and understandable. And that's exactly what the translators of the NLT tried to do. They like wanted it to be accessible. But anyway, I think what we see in this passage is is that in action. So with that, what stood out to you? Bible man. Bible man Bible stood out man. to me. Do you remember Bible man? I do remember Bible man. I wish I, I do didn't not... remember Bible man. <laughs> I don't remember the like the premises or the plot lines of any of the VHS tapes that no, I would rent neither. from the church library to watch at home. But I do remember this like crazy title sequence where the announcer would be like, put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Wait, that's exactly and... what the voice was like. <laughs> I know. And it was like, I mean, it was like a dramatic superhero, you know, suiting up kind of situation. But it was just the most ridiculous plot line. And his attacks on his enemies would just be quoting scripture at people (laughs) so honestly i'm just thinking about bible man in his shimmery purple cape that's all (laughs) that's i'm kind of stuck there honestly i do think the one thing that actually stood out to me though was at the end of verse 12 where 
we're talking about the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world being both mighty powers in the world and evil spirits in the heavenly places. Hmm. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, especially in a lot of scripture and even a lot of the New Testament, there is this really clear dividing line, it seems like, or at least that's something we grab onto, between good and evil, if we want to frame it that way, to continue with the superhero theme. But this passage, that verse, shows how both in this world and in the heavenly places, both things are. And it's not heaven is good and we are bad, or the material world is good, but the spiritual realm is bad. It is that there is, to use the imagery of the passage, there is a fight to be fought everywhere on behalf of god just put on the helmet of salvation (laughs) and take the sword of the spirit oh did you ever do sword drills in sunday school yeah i did you hold your bible up like it's your sword and then they say the reference and you see who gets there you gotta you gotta yep just like except i feel like the the bad part about that is people are just ripping pages out yeah, like I always Bi- feel like it was kind, of, it was kind of counterproductive because you're also most just like Bible paper. Yeah, most Bible paper is not durable enough to live up to no. the Sunday school sword drill. Yeah, swords at the ready. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna keep doing that voice a lot from now on, just so you know. We gotta get you gotta get your money's worth out of those voice acting classes that you took. Right. Ugh. <laughs> I'm gonna call it Bible Man. See if he needs a new narrator. <laughs> I'm thinking of, did you ever just sing the song in church, I'm in the Lord's Army? It's oh, terrible. Yeah. It's the, like for little kids, mm-hmm. for people who don't know it, the chorus is, I'm in the Lord's Army. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army. It's a little problematic when you're like little kids singing that. I mean, there's part of me that's like in the right context and with enough context that could be a really that could be a good song. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but the fact that in the chorus you're just saying over and over again, "I'm in the Lord's army." Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. You're saluting. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things that's so close and yet so very, very far away. It is, yeah. Is there anything else you noticed? I just want you to teach me more, Seth. I'm ready to hear more about what stood out to you as you were sitting with this for a little longer. Yeah. Well, one of the things that stood out to me is I'm thinking about... Just like we talked about the the spiritual struggle isn't just happening kind of on earth and it's not just happening in heaven. Right? It's happening in both of them. And I'm just thinking about the ways that our struggles now are, are multifaceted. Like they're they're in kind of different planes or different avenues, right? Like they're sociological and they're psychological and they're emotional and we have relational struggles. 
I think that that idea of this this struggle would be especially meaningful to this kind of minoritized Christian group. Maybe in Ephesus, like we talked about in our last episode right. about mm-hmm. Ephesians. Um, so it could be in Ephesus. But this could also be written to, to kind of the broader Christian community who would still be this tiny minority group. I would say this is like the, the, the Jewish people are minorities in the Greco-Roman world. And then within Judaism at this time is still an even smaller Jesus, an even smaller Jesus following movement. So these are like, this is such a tiny little nobody backwater group in the first century. All that to say, I think their commitment to Christ might put them at odds with the Greco-Roman Empire. Maybe the maybe the idea of an armor would be exactly what they needed or wanted to hear at this time. If you're this little know-nothing group and your existence is kind of always under threat, would an armor like be really comforting to you? This armor seems to be much more about defense than offense Mm. like it's much more about protection right than it is about destruction yeah because it is about resisting the enemy i honestly get shades of survivor like outwit outplay outlast kind of mentality oh yeah yeah. it's like after the battle you'll still be standing firm like you're going to be able to endure what's coming at you, not you're going to have a more powerful arsenal for this fight. That's an interest. Feels like an interesting distinction too. And I agree with that. What strikes me about this passage is you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like it's a non-violent weapon, right? Right. It doesn't. It doesn't hack and slash the way like a physical sword does. We talked a little bit about this last week, though. It's like just because there's a violent image doesn't mean that it's advocating for violence. You know, the, there's the passage elsewhere in the New Testament, I think in Second Timothy, right? That the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's not right. saying it's it's not saying it's a sword. It's here's a point of reference. To compare it to, you know, it it doesn't have to be super violent. Yeah, I think that tells us more about ourselves when we read these references and relate them to violence than it tells us about the scriptures. It tells us about our propensity towards violence, or at least the way that violence is always in the backdrop of our society, that we then put that onto the biblical text. I feel like we're dancing on the edge of What's the point already? Yeah. Take us there, Seth. What do you got? Okay. Well, I've been thinking about standing firm, not in the same way that some states have enacted these stand your ground laws mm. in which you can you can enact violence against people that you perceive as a threat. But I've been thinking about standing firm against struggles against the powers and the principalities that you can't always see these kind of invisible forces that are acting in our world 
and the way that our faith can actually equip us to confront them and to withstand them and maybe even to reform them. So I've been thinking about I've been thinking about it not as a fight against people, maybe I should say. For just just like the writer says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Mm-hmm. Right, but we're fighting something that's a lot bigger than that. And our our struggle is to stand our ground against that. So I guess my question is like in what in what way could our faith help us do that? What does it look like to separate our faith and to stand firm in our faith despite kind of what's happening in the political realm? Hmm. I had a lot of questions there. Is there one that you'd like more than the others? <laughs> well, I, I think, Seth, as you asked that question, it feels like an assumption that to resist, to stand firm, means we must disregard what's going on in the political realm. And now, I know you, and know you don't think that. But, like, what what was standing out to me as you were framing that question, though, is that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but the evil rulers and authorities, or you might hear it in another translation, the powers and principalities in the world do often take the form of flesh and blood, too. They are manifest in real ways. And so for me, a clear commitment of my faith is to stand firm against and resist the ways that those things are becoming real and tangible in our world. Because, and I think you were getting at this as well, to keep this in the realm of the spiritual is to let a lot of people suffer and die at the hands of these same principalities and powers, these same rulers and authorities that are at work in this world for the sake of some spiritual heavenly battle instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so for me, faith draws me into not just the church or the prayer closet kind of thing, but draws me into the public square draws me to advocate. It draws me to encourage the church to be aware of things that are affecting our neighbors. It draws me into my work in higher education to hmm. try to create spaces that are informed by the characteristics of the reign and realm of God in the world. Remembering that children of God People who bear the image of God, God's creation, is not the enemy, Mm -hmm. but that the powers and principalities of the world can become embodied in certain ways and can have significant influence over people who are flesh and blood. That's the distinction for me, and that's a really hard line to walk as well. So I don't know if I answered one of your questions or not. Well, that's fine. My questions were just to... To start us thinking. So it's okay if we didn't answer them specifically. Well, you nailed that. I'm definitely <laughs> thinking a lot about this. If you've ever read Walter Wink's The Powers That Be, 
mm. I mean, incredible incredible theology with the really presumptuous title of uh, yeah. theology for a new millennium, millennium. subtitle. Yes. He talks a, a lot about the ways in which the powers operate. Just like, just like I think you're talking about, they operate through people, but that it's not the people that we're fighting. And one of the things that always strikes me about his comments is that in a particular organization, a power structure, system, you can replace all of the people in it and it still functions the same way. Mm-hmm. And I just think like that's a reminder to me that somehow like we're not each other's enemies but like we're fighting against these these systems it's not the the people that we that we despise or that we like attack but we can like attack the ideologies that we think are yeah. are life limiting or maybe the ways that these powers have operate and control and then act in their own interests and against the interest of others. Like it's somehow, at least for me, and I, when I read this passage, it's it's not, it's not an individualism that I think would be foreign to the writer of Ephesians. But like it's thinking much bigger than that. It's thinking like collectively. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. You're- when, I think you're you're scratching at scratching at something there that is really profound. When systems were created and designed in ways that are life limiting, I like that that language that you used. Putting people in them who are seeking to be life encouraging or life affirming might make things a little better but you're still existing in a system that was built for a particular purpose. Whoa, and are that's you doing I... critical race theory? Yes. I mean, I, know. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, no, because I'm not a law student. But I am I'm thinking about things like, so the, the author actually just recently defended his dissertation. So now Dr. Jamar Tisby uh, has done a lot of writing about my state of residence, Virginia, which obviously has a very checkered history, to put it lightly. I also live near Richmond, which I think has kind of a significant history related to race in this country. I'm starting to learn a little bit about that. But before the United States was the United States, Tisby wrote has written extensively about how there was a law passed in the Virginia General Assembly saying that if a person who was held in bondage, a person traditionally called a slave, an enslaved person, converted to Christianity, that that does not change their status as an enslaved person. And in that moment, there's a recognition of both our faith changes something for us, our faith has the opportunity, it has been, it can speak to and speak against the powers and principalities in the world. And here's exactly how we're going to kneecap it. Here's exactly how we're going to prevent that from happening. And you can imagine how these kinds of stories take shape in so many different places. 
across our country and around our world. But how then can a person, a representative, a leader, a governor, a citizen, existing in a system with so many things like that in its roots and foundation, Mm -hmm. how can we live in a way that is inclusive and equitable and life-affirming with a foundation of dehumanization, of oppression, of enslavement, without having rooted out those realities from the systems in which we still exist. And I think that how you're, how you're getting at that helps us reframe and remember that, yes, we all say and do and believe stupid and harmful things at times. And there are ways for us to, to seek life, to seek the life of God, to seek the righteousness and justice that God offers us without perpetuating the same dehumanization and oppression mm-hmm. <laughs> in the process. Even if you even if you put people in power who look like the people who were not in power, it doesn't change the system. Having a black president in an office that for the majority of the office's history systematically enslaved and oppressed black people having a black president does not solve the roots and foundations of how that system came to be. And if anything, I think the years 2017 to 2020 evidence exactly why that's true. The final thing that strikes me is that armor is visible, at least regular traditional armor is, but this spiritual armor isn't, at least it isn't automatically. So there's, there's a part of it, right, that's kind of incumbent on us to wear it and live it and use it. It's kind of like you asked me at the beginning, like, why do you care what people, what people think of what you wear at the soccer game? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you were getting at this point already. Like there's something also about putting on this armor. That sometimes it puts us in opposition to the way that the world works. It makes us stand out, like the pajamas at the soccer game, but that we wear it anyway. Like you, you wear the armor and push back against the powers and the principalities and the ways that they harm people. Man, maybe we're in the Lord's army after all. Yes, sir. <laughs> we'll have a prayer today it's it's attributed to saint patrick but who knows <laughs> who knows whether it's saint patrick's but sometimes it's called saint patrick's breastplate and i felt like that was in keeping with our armor theme so here's a here's just a little snippet of it because the whole the whole thing's a little lengthy so I'll, I'll keep it short so if you'll pray with me christ shield me today against wounding christ with me christ before me christ behind me christ in me christ beneath me christ above me christ on my right Christ on my left, 
Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eyes that see me. Christ in the ear that hears me. I rise today through the mighty strength of the Lord of creation. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? We are heading to the book of James, chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Yes, sir. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.